Yo, 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 it's your boy, T.O., as you know. It's your boy, O-Rain, real name, no games, no gimmicks. Yo, it's the motherfucking Fade Podcast, the one-stop shop for everything TV, media, and film related, along with any of the goddamn thing we're going to talk about, coming to you live, direct, uh, week uh, 8,000th of uh, quarantine land. Uh, what the fuck is good? What's going on? Yo, for What's anybody happening? who doesn't know, today is May 17th. It's a Sunday, and I've been losing track of time. Uh, thank God we had, how did people keep track of time? Like, you know, 700 years ago. And they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just made the shit or up. Or they would use, yeah. Or they would use like a, a sundial, I guess, uh, you know, based on where the fuck the sun was. Yeah. Uh, but God no one forbid, knew how to use a, that a, shit. A they, they didn't know. <laughs> they were just making that shit up. I like how your privilege ass is. <laughs> it's like, oh, they didn't know. They didn't yeah, have right. iPhones. How could they tell time or date or weather? <laughs> Lying yeah, motherfuckers. How, how do people with watches? How do people with watches tell time? They they don't have a phone. You know, they're not looking at their cell phone. How did we do it back in the nineties? Yeah, this I don't is, know. Before uh, the Apple Watch, listen, I don't even know how to tell time anymore. <laughs> if I don't have the Apple Watch on, fuck if I know. <laughs> have you ever asked? Uh, this has happened to me before. Have you ever asked mm. someone what time it was and um, you know, they had like a regular like analog watch on and they just had yeah. trouble reading the time? Yeah, it's very, uh, very disorienting. I don't I don't know why. Uh, I just look at them like like it's like you, you don't get you don't trust them anymore. You're like, yeah, like, like what are you plotting? Do you know Ethan what those Hunt? numbers like, mean? <laughs> 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 no, but I've definitely asked someone for the time before and like they looked at their watch and they were like, uh, then they looked at their phone. And they were like. It's three thirty. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Why yeah. did you have trouble with the watch, sir? <laughs> yeah, because they've been looking at their fucking phone for so long. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Let's just jump into the shit. Um, so, of course, you know, let's let's talk about what's coming out uh, on streaming these uh, particular days, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, of course, I don't have the actual graphic for it. That's great. Uh, so let's Black just go back box. to a two box. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let, let's talk about what's, uh, what, what's coming out on streaming these particular, uh, uh, endless, uh, quarantine days, uh, on HBO, we have hard, uh, as well as, uh, this isn't a, um, you know, a new movie or show, but, uh, it's something that came out back in 2019, which is ready or not, which I never got to see. Uh, it's basically like a movie of just like a big as game of hide and go seek, I think, uh, unless I'm mistaken, um, as pretty much what, it, at least from the trailer, is what I thought it was about. Um, Sounds familiar. Got to see I don't, it, I don't but, remember uh, it though. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of got that uh, the woman not to reduce women to, to their looks or anything like that, but uh, it's the woman who kind of looks like Ro uh, Margot Robbie, but isn't Margot Robbie, uh, and she's like wearing I think a wedding dress or something like that in the trailers, uh, and it's basically like she's like trapped in this like mansion and you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Isn't she yeah. like with her boyfriend at her family's um, at his like family dinner and they play this game? Yeah, you know what I think it is, and or maybe I'm getting my. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, right? Like, yeah, they play uh, this game where like they scene. hunt each other and like yeah. she's the okay. she's it or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. It's um, 
you know, we've got that on HBO coming out uh, this particular week, which I'm sure it's going to come out Yo, on Saturday. Said uh, she yeah. looks like Margot Robbie, but she is. <laughs> Doesn't not. she though? Uh, Doesn't she look bit. like Margot yeah, yeah. Robbie? But is it not? Yeah. But the, she is not Bard. Seen... That's just fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I wasn't trying to say that she. Oh, you know, she's not as pretty as Margot. I wasn't trying to say any of that. I was just like, oh, she. On first glance, I was like, "Oh, is that Margot Robbie?" And then it's just like, "Nah, that's not Margot Robbie." Like, um, and then so she yeah, just continues anyway, so to have to no that. name. <laughs> and we no, never look for her because you said that. No, we we look for her right now. Uh, her name uh, is uh, Samara Weaving. Is is her name? Uh, so I did not mean even to, her name to, doesn't uh, sound as cool as Margot Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> all right well now you got a vendetta against her all right i've, I've moved on with my life i do right? I, I, i'm gonna attack her now for no reason <laughs> yeah. um okay we've got the uh, the great uh which is a series premiere on hulu uh that's uh that's coming out this particular uh, uh week uh then we have homecoming season two which is an amazon uh, original and then on netflix we have uh the big uh the big flower fight um then we have Patton Oswalt. Uh, I love everything. Didn't he just come out with a comedy special on either Netflix or somewhere else? I don't know. I, um, I do remember reading his name somewhere. I don't know. The, Sounds there haven't familiar. been a lot of like the most recent one is like the Jerry Seinfeld one that came out. Jeff Segura came out with one. Tiffany Haddish. Mm-hmm. I don't think Pat Oswalt has dropped one recently. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There's there's my nice graphic. Um, so uh so yeah uh on netflix uh also we have a sweet mangolius um magnolias i said i said it stupidly magnolias do you remember the movie uh steel mag magnolias or i think it was called magnolias? Nay. it was one with tom Cru- tom cruise do you remember a movie like that no mm, no it was like mangolia i don't know Anyways, I'm gonna stop. Magnolia was myself. No. Yeah, it was Magnolia. It wasn't called right? Magnolia. <laughs> I don't are we are, are we just right, saying let's, let's the same on. word in different ways? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's literally right. what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, all, all of our uh, whatever uh, credibility we we've built up is now just lost. Gone. It. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, ben Platt, uh, live from Radio City uh, Music Hall. Uh, Rebellion de los uh, Godines. Um, and then Control Z, History 101, The Lovebirds, uh, Selling Sunset Season 2, and then Trailer Park Boys, the animated series Season 2, which I did not know was a thing, but uh, apparently it is. Apparently that's uh, that's a thing. Did you ever watch the, the actual show Trailer Park Boys? No, I've never seen it. Is it like an old show? Now they're just like bringing back the animated version? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I believe it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a show that lasted for I think years. I don't know if it. I don't think it existed on, or I don't think it was created by Netflix. But I think Netflix ended up like picking it up or something like that. And yeah, now it's uh now it's an animated uh, series. So that's who was uh, in it. It's interesting. I never never checked that. Uh, I don't know. I actually never watched it myself. I was just I was curious if you did because uh, I, I see people who like it has like a, it's definite like fan base. Um, but uh, but yeah, I just never. And I would always see like you know promos for it, but I, I never actually like watch it myself. So uh, well, might good be for that. that I do end up. Uh, <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen never. it. Yeah, that. that's the that's the ultimate like backhanded like compliment. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Good, good for you. For <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to our first uh, story here. Um, 
So uh, in our first story here, we are uh, indeed going to talk about um, a trailer for um, uh, for Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Filthy Rich, uh, which is a trailer that I dropped. Uh, let me give you the quick synopsis. Um, uh, the story uh, stories from survivors uh, fuel this uh, docuseries examining how convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein uh, used his wealth and power to carry out his abuses. Uh, it's directed by Lisa Bryant and um, uh, written by John Connolly and, uh, and Tim Malloy uh, and is scheduled uh, to be released on Netflix on May 27th of this uh, particular year. Um, so yeah, what, what did you think of this, uh, this trailer we got for, um, Filthy Rich, uh, which is a doc on, uh, Jeffrey uh, Epstein. So the, the trailer looks good, right? The trailer looks mm -hmm. like we're going to learn a lot about who this Jeffrey Epstein guy was. Um, we're going to learn, learn a lot about what he did. We're going to get to hear from a lot of the women who, uh, you know, he took advantage of as a part of like the sex trafficking, um, uh, you know, basically like everything that he was known to do on this private island of his. Of his. Uh, and I hope this documentary brings to light a lot of the other people who were involved in this, the people who, who knew about it, who kept it going, the people who um, uh, were aware of it and they just kind of like turned a blind eye to it. Uh, but I, I'm curious, like we know how peculiar the circumstances of his death were. Um, so I wonder how much of that is going to be included in this documentary, because I can imagine there are a lot of really important people, you know, friends of Jeffrey Epstein's, whether it's the Clintons or Donald Trump, um, uh, um, uh, Oprah Winfrey, those like very powerful celebrity figures and friends of his that did not want to be in this documentary, uh, that were unwilling to comment or just, you know, be interviewed. And so I wonder, like, if, if is this going to tell us, like, the story that we already know and just put it all together or if this is really going to bring like new information to light but again the trailer looks yeah good. was uh yeah uh yeah the, the trailer for it looks uh looks looks good and, and on par with uh i guess what uh what we would i guess expect out of a jeffrey epstein documentary um but from what i hear uh that this was actually they've been working on this particular documentary for quite some time um and uh and I don't know exactly when they started it. I want to say it was like a few years ago, actually, um, that, that it was, you know, they started to sort of, I, I guess, accumulate some of this stuff. And then lo and behold, you know, he gets jammed up and, uh, you know, uh, uh, ends up uh, committing suicide. I don't know if you can see my air quotes here, but uh, committing suicide in yeah. jail. Uh, yeah. Um, Which he 100 percent so, didn't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, hey man, I don't want to say too much. I don't know what uh, you know. I don't, I don't know who's listening, who, who's tapping the phone lines. You know, <laughs> yeah. Just don't, just don't come for me. Is uh, is all I ask. Um, but um, but yeah, I you know, I think it'll be a very very interesting uh documentary because the truth be told, for as much as everybody talks about him, I actually know pretty much jack shit uh about uh, uh, uh about Epstein. So you know, yeah. I'm hoping that this you know shed some some light on it. Um, you know, for the people who don't like to read, because I believe this was a book, uh, and that's why you know I'm, I'm saying that they they started working on it well ahead of time. Um, and so yeah, I don't like to. Uh, we all know that uh, as Kanye famously said, you know, niggas don't read. 
Um, and so, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I didn't check out the uh, the actual book, uh, but uh, but I'm glad we're getting this so we can get some uh, some some insight into uh, to his crazy fucking world and and what what fucking insanity, dude! Like for somebody like this to to fucking exist, uh, pretty much unimpeded for just so many fucking years, man. Um, is you know that just shows you exactly what money money slash power can do, right? Yeah. Um, that you know I don't I don't think that they're always one and the same, but when you combine them, you know, uh, if this is a fucking Captain Planet and shit, and when all power is combined, um, you know, it creates a fucking dangerous combo, you know, yeah. where you can fucking basically have an entire island, um, where you basically have a pedal ring, you know, uh, which is utterly insane. And what doesn't surprise me is uh, it's not necessarily that like people like this and, and the fact that like, you know, there are people out there who are like this sick and twisted exist. The most surprising thing is how they are uh, protected both by the system uh, as well as like the people that surround them, right? There are other like rich, powerful friends who know that they're doing these things, but it's like they need this person to, you know, stay out of prison because they're essential to like, uh, their business or their a close friend or uh, you know the, Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer probably kept him out of prison many times uh, because what, what was he doing protecting his client so I think that's the most interesting part is is not necessarily how terrible these people were but how there were a lot of people around them who knew about the things that they were doing who protected them yeah, um, I, I think that's, but that's that's you know that, that that's true about any sort of like source of power, right? Like that, you know, it's it's only it's only it only really works when other people like buy into it and help you, you know. So for instance, uh, like Trump wouldn't be Trump, or really any president for that matter, right? Wouldn't like be president if it weren't for other people buying into the idea of oh yeah, this person has power and, you know, we're going to go ahead and do what they say and, 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 and keep them out of harm's way and, and, and in some ways hold on to a bit of that power ourselves. If we can't be the person in charge, then we at least want to be siphoning power off of the person in charge, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, I think that's how any, that's how anything's sort of done in society, right? Like look at the police, right? Like, you know, when they do some fuck shit, you know, they're protecting their own and they keep their own out of jail and shit. Um, you know, and it, it goes for anything, right? Like, you know, if, if you know somebody or if you're connected to somebody, chances are you're going to try to, you're, you're going to sway that way unless you, for some reason, have uh, a conscious, which is, uh, you know, it's frowned upon uh, yeah. in, 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 uh, in, in these circles. So, uh, so yeah. Anyways, well, uh, like I said, uh, this, <laughs> yeah, more, more or less, that's the morals of the story is fuck, fuck Jeffy Epstein. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> So let's uh, let's trek forward here. We uh, we did get a new trailer for, uh, you know, we've, we've been waiting um, to, you know, uh, open things back up. You know, we, you know, have been, you know, all speculating when the theaters are going to open back up and what's going to go on and how's it all going to happen. Um, you know, what are the you know uh, safety protocols that they're going to have to go through all this stuff. Right. So. We got a little trailer uh, for a movie called Unhinged, uh, and it turns out this will actually be the movie <laughs> that will greet us back to theaters when we brave that uh, that that great night 
you know, to, 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 to venture into to, to, to go back to the theaters. Uh, we'll be greeted by Unhinged, um, which uh, before I get to when it's released, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the synopsis. Um, so um, this, uh, this film is, um, is a psychological thriller that takes place uh, or takes something we've all experienced, which is road rage, to an unprecedented and terrifying conclusion. Um, and it is directed by Derek uh, Borte uh, and written by Carl Ellsworth. And stars Russell Crowe, uh, Gabriel, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Karen Pistorius, um, Jimmy Simpson, Gabriel uh, Badamine, and is due out July 1st, uh, 2020, um, which uh, was much to my dismay because, you know, you think, you know, we get back into theaters and all right, we got to we got to come out guns a blazing here. But after watching this this trailer, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> Why is this happening? <laughs> this film. Uh, yeah. No, I was going to say this film feels as if it was just like any old weekend before a pandemic Um it was just going to be like a regular July, right? And this is the, going to be the first, the, the film that hit theaters July 1st. It doesn't feel like the studio who's releasing this film was like really thinking strategically here, like let's release our biggest, most action-packed film with like the biggest cast and, you know, a film that's been, people have been waiting on, people have been anticipating for months or if not like a year or two uh, to hit theaters. They're just like, nah, Put put that one out. Start with that one. They just like flipped the coin and this was it. Uh, the, the movie looks good. I think Russell Crowe looks good in this film. The storyline, it, it's it's pretty... Um, it, what is that movie with... Um, uh, who's who's Catherine Zeta-Jones husband? Uh, my, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Remember that movie uh, where he was like... He was in LA. He was the guy who just like had a bad day. He got fired from his job. Um, and he just kind of like lost it. I'm going to do a um, quick search for it. Yeah, no, I, I'd be lying if I said I knew uh, anything about what you're talking <laughs> talking about. It was, uh, so it's uh, one of his classic movies. It's uh, Give me one second here. He was like in sure. L.A. He got fired from his job and he just kind of like lost it. It was like one bad day or something like that. And he went on like a kind of like a is that is that what the movie's called? One bad day. No, definitely not. I'm gonna find it here in a second. You're gonna remember it. Uh, uh, well, you, right. you 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 keep going, and I'm gonna find this movie. Yeah, because it was great. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this this movie here. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, if this was, you're right. In in ordinary times, this would seem fine. You know, perfectly well suited. You know, uh, and, and obviously, you know, Russell Crowe, who I don't know exactly what he's doing nowadays, besides maybe this. Um, but he might have he might have seen some of his better days, you know, uh, you know, some some of his better days are probably behind him uh, as far as acting goes uh, or maybe not. I don't know who the fuck am I to say. But uh, but yeah, this this kind of reeks of, um, yeah, something that would be an ordinary viewing um, under ordinary times. But, you know, in the in this case of, uh, you know, this this coronavirus, this pandemic. Curious, curious that this is coming out July 1st. Uh, this is before Tenant. This is before Mulan. This is before Wonder Woman uh, 1984. Uh, before all those films, we were going to get um, 
you're gonna get this. Uh, and so I don't know. Yeah, uh, I I don't know if I'm gonna I'm gonna, if I'm gonna risk my life to uh, <laughs> to go see Unhinged. I might be able to, to let that one go uh, to VOD first. <laughs> yeah. I'll let those hit those waves, and uh, and and then I'll uh, and and then I'll I'll do a review of the of the movie. But uh, but yeah, I, not a minute before, not a minute before. Uh, so, by the way, the movie that I was referring to was called Falling Down. Um, starring Michael Douglas mm-hmm. came out in 1993. So it was about like an unemployed okay. defense worker who was frustrated um, with the various flaws that he sees in society and begins a psychologically and violent, begins to psych- psychologically and violently lash out. Uh, s- similar premise here, a uh, guy who's just having a really bad day uh, who ends up in like, you know, a road rage situation and just, you know, pretty much pours uh, gasoline on that fire. Again, the story to me of this film looks really good. Uh, I think Russell Crowe, um, we know he's a, he's a stellar actor. And this is a movie that um, under normal circumstances, might I see in theaters? Maybe. Uh, under these circumstances, am I going to risk it all to see Unhinged? No, that would be Unhinged. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to check the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Um... But uh, but yeah, uh, even stranger though, uh, we we got this week um, a trailer for uh, something a little different. Um, you know, something I I, I think I, I remember hearing that this was being worked on, but uh, I don't think I really paid it any mind. Uh, but we got a trailer this week for um, uh, uh, for Eurovision um, song contest, the story of the fire saga. T- uh, and, uh, you know, let me give you the quick synopsis. When aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid um, are given the opportunity to represent their country at the world's biggest song competition, they finally have a chance to prove that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. This is directed by David uh, Dobick and written by Will Farrell uh, as well as Andrew Steele and stars uh, Will Farrell. Um, Rachel McAdams, uh, Pierce Brosnan, Dan Stevens, uh, shout out to Legion, by the way, and uh, Demi Lovato, uh, and is due out Ju- uh, June 26th uh, of this year, and it's coming out, of course, on uh, Netflix. So uh, what did you think of uh, Eurovision's uh, trailer for, uh, you know, uh, for this new, new Will Ferrell flick? So, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we uh, started actually recording. And um, while, I mean, you know, some would consider Will Ferrell like a comedy uh, legend uh, in terms of like, I, I guess, not necessarily stand up, but like film, sitcom, or not, he's, he hasn't had a sitcom. What is it called? Like TV comedy, movie comedy, comedy movies? Comedy uh, acting? Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I, think, I think he's done like a lot of sketch. A lot, he does a lot of sketch comedy sketch as comedy. well as, you okay, know, yeah. you know call feature it that. films. Yeah. But he's never done like stand-up yeah. to my knowledge. Um, uh, I don't know if he's never done it. I just don't know of it, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, well, so some would consider Will Ferrell like a sketch comedy, um, uh, a legend. I think Will, Will Ferrell's earlier work was phenomenal. Um, as of late, I haven't really seen anything from him that like to me is it has been stellar. Um, and this is, I'm going to add this to what, to that list of things that has not been stellar while this trailer was really interesting. It's like, you're watching a music video, a short, um, teaser trailer for like a up and coming music video. Like it really does look and feel like that. Uh, you find out this is a movie. That's when my interest is turned off. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Uh, I have no interest in this. Again, I don't particularly love Will Ferrell's work as of late. 
I don't really love Rachel McAdams work as of late either. Um, this has the potential to be really good. Maybe I'm just like not seeing it just yet. Uh, but I don't know. This looks fucking weird. I was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think, um, I think it looks interesting to say the very least. Um, yeah, I'll, you know, clearly I'll jump in into that same boat of like, yeah, I don't think I've really liked much of Will Ferrell's movies the last, I would say, basically like the last decade, uh, essentially. I can't remember the last Will Ferrell movie that I was like, oh my God, like that was hilarious. And I really wanted to see that. And, you know, it was really, really good. Um, I think since his Anchorman days, since the Talladega Nights, um, since the... I think uh, Step Brothers was the last movie that I was like, yo, this is great. Um, no, yeah. Well, let, let let's run down the uh the the order here. Let's uh let's do some Google's real quick. Um, let's look at Will Ferrell filmography. My God, does he have an extensive body? He of has work. a shit um, ton. Oof, I don't even know. My eyes hurt just looking at this. Yeah, um, so 137 projects right. as an actor he has under his belt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's so let, let's let's start running through these. Uh, all right. How look, far are we going Basically, back? that he. Um, I, I'm going back. Uh, look, I I think everything past. Uh, like let let's do. Let's do Austin Powers. I think that's the first time that I I like I remember seeing him where I was like, holy shit, that was hilarious, right? So I remember what seeing him in Austin Powers, thinking it's fucking hilarious. Uh, Austin Powers was '97. Um, Jesus and he was uh, he played Mustafa. Uh, I do. Do you remember the his Mustafa character? He was like, my legs are badly injured. Yeah, and I'm badly burned, but I'm okay. <laughs> um, I thought that was hilarious. Um, it still makes me laugh to this to this day, just even quoting it. Um, but then you go to like a Night of Roxbury. Yeah, we could miss that. Um, Superstar. Yeah, wasn't really much of a fan. And then he was in uh, another Austin Powers movie that was actually pretty funny too. Um, but those were all just like features or um, him. Uh, him not necessarily playing like the leading role, but obviously just uh, just like a guest spot. Um, but then we get to like old school. Okay, we're starting to light it up a little bit with old school. Elf, obviously, you know, everybody considers Elf to be a classic. Then we get yeah. to Anchorman and well, shit. Well, we got Zo- right? Zoolanders uh, think, in there as well. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a, a big Zoolander fan. I'm still not. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one as well. I'll give you that as a nod. Um, and then, again, like I said, Anchorman kind of changed the game a bit. Uh, not a bit. It changed the game a lot. Not at first, but I think over the course of years, it's become sort of like a cult classic, as they say. Um, Wedding Crashers, you know, who could forget Ma the Meatloaf? Uh, I think that's a, you know, a staple in any uh, yeah. in any circle. And um, in that same year, he then, came out with Bewitched, which was, I thought that was a pretty good yeah. movie. Yeah, uh, I never saw Bewitched, but I could, I could, I could, I could, uh, I could buy into that as well. That was good um, enough. Yeah, uh, and then we get uh, we get a very strange movie, which actually you know strange is in the title, uh, Stranger Than Fiction, very underrated Will Ferrell movie. It's not a comedic. I mean, it's a little bit comedic. Uh, it stars uh, Dustin Hoffman, um, but it's actually one of my favorite Will Ferrell movies. Uh, yeah. Even though it's not a it's not a comedy movie, I, I absolutely adore that movie, uh, Stranger Than Fiction. Um, then uh, Talladega Nights. There, like no no introduction needed. Uh, we we all know, <laughs> you know what's going on with Ricky Bobby. Um, Blades of Gore. That's uh, that's the movie that we were trying to remember before that uh, that we couldn't. Uh, this is when it starts taking a bit of a downturn. Uh, yeah. Blades of Glory and then Semi Pro 
to me, I could probably miss both of those. Uh, Step Brothers is when we step back into the fold. And then another underrated for Will Ferrell movie is The Other Guys. A shout out to JP real quick. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how popular The Other Guys was. I think that was with Mark Wahlberg that he did that with. Yep. Um, not sure how much people have really appreciated that. But, uh, you know, going back and viewing it a few more times, I definitely appreciated it a lot more than I did when I first watched it. Um, another good Will Ferrell movie that I think is a little understated is uh, Everything Must Go. I thought that was a pretty good movie. And then, honestly, it's been hard since then to uh, to find anything that I can even consider to be. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna quickly run through some of the some of the trash here really quickly. Um, the campaign, <laughs> which is a movie that came out in 2012. Although the, I think the campaign wasn't that bad, so maybe I'm not. Maybe I lied. The campaign uh, wasn't the worst. Yeah, I don't think it was any good. Uh, then we've got internship, <laughs> which starred, like, which also starred Vince Vaughn and. Um, uh, and Owen Wilson, or I think that movie was their movie. And then uh, Will Ferrell made a, uh, an appearance in that movie. Uh, we've got, he's got a lot of animated movies in here. Get Hard, which also starred Kevin Hart. I thought that was terrible. Um, what else? We got uh, Daddy's Home. And we've got Zoolander 2 on there as well. Uh, the House. Do you remember that? I don't. No. <laughs> oh, it was with uh, Amy Poehler there. I, I do remember it was with Amy Poehler, right? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I do remember the trailer for it. Yeah, I don't then, remember that. Then we got Daddy's time. Home 2, which was in 2017. Uh, and for his most recent projects, there was uh, Holmes and Watson, which, um, fuck that. Jeffrey wasn't going to go see that. When did that come out? That yeah. came out in 2018. Jesus. Yeah. I don't uh, then we've got like, I remember the trailer. For it. I just remember it came out. Uh, I don't know what that was. Didn't see it. Uh, and then uh, Zeroville. I don't know. I guess he had a small role well, in this. In, 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 yeah, in some of these, it's like more of like a smaller role, like mm-hmm. maybe just be a cameo or uncredited. Um, and then did you know there, there was a Between Two Ferns, the movie, which came out in 2019? Yeah. Yeah, we watched it. What are you talking about? We did? Oh. Yeah. I think we even did a press play on it. Uh, I think I saw like half of it, then I had to stop because I was just like, yeah, this is... You had to stop it? You didn't yeah, like it? I, I didn't I watch it. Between Two Ferns was awesome. No. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. But yeah, so... Um, Eurovision. I don't know. When does it come out again? Um, it comes out uh June. Hold on, let me get back to my dates here. Uh June twenty-sixth of this particular year. Yes. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> also one of those things yeah. where like you don't give a shit. You're like, interesting. Very good. Good for you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll I'll check this out. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Um Yeah. It's it's got a lot of people in it. So I'm curious to see like what Pierce Brosnan's doing in it, right? Like that's a weird person to have in a movie like this. Yeah. Uh, or maybe the perfect person to have in a movie like this. I don't know. But uh but yeah, we'll uh we'll keep our eyes open for Eurovision. Um All right, let's uh let, let's jump into our next uh next story here. So uh, that is not our next story, indeed. Let's <laughs> kill our, yeah, let's kill our. Gra- oh, you know what? That's because that's um, that's why I'm doing it. Okay, there we go. Okay. So um, we uh, we this past week, uh, I believe, got uh, a little bit of a glimpse into uh, into a uh, new uh, or the new uh, avatar movie uh, avatar 2 and i'm just realizing my lower third actually can be a little uh confusing it says avatar 2 photos uh and you know depending on how you read it i could say a couple different things but 
<laughs> we'll ignore my uh, lower third malpractice for now um, and just talk about um, this particular thing. So this particular article comes to us from Digital Spy. Um, so uh, let me just read verbatim here. Uh, with uh, four more Avatar sequels officially in development, Deadline reports that the franchise has combined uh, has a combined budget of over one billion. One billion. One billion fucking dollars. Bruh, dude, if this first one doesn't hit, like, I mean, Avengers Endgame hit? Nah, fam. Yeah. Nah, fam. It's, it's, you want to have some people looking for James Cameron. Somebody's now, looking for him. <laughs> when, when you take a billion dollars and you spread it across four movies, um, the number doesn't seem, the numbers don't seem that crazy anymore. But no, no, that you're is right, still you're, 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 you're not, you're not a massive getting it. number. You're not getting it. It's that's one billion, right? But that's one billion they're not going to get back. Meaning that they've already like this one billion is basically already done. And I'm not even sure if that includes the full marketing budget, right? Because clearly they haven't made the the other uh, the other or they're not finished making yet the uh, the other three. Nor have they, you know, are, are marketing it right? Or nor are they yeah. even marketing this one uh, right so now. So it doesn't uh, include any marketing budget. It doesn't include. Well, any I'm not sure. I can't. I can't confirm nor deny that. Um, well, I mean, well, it, it would be hard to create a marketing budget for films that haven't been haven't even started a production yet. Well, you, you, you could like, at least have a budget. The, the landscape for it. might it, change. Yeah, you, you could at least have the budget for it, though. You know, I mean, even if you haven't like, even if you haven't ramped up marketing, you can at least appropriate some funds specifically for marketing to carve out of that one billion. You can set it aside. Yeah, I mean, it's probably like but, a loose number, though. Maybe, but um, the the issue here is that uh, the one billion, again, maybe it takes care of marketing, maybe it doesn't. Either way, that one billion is already committed to these films. And so what happens if the second one comes out and nobody goes to go see it? What happens then? Are you just in a hole for a billion dollars? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. Um, That's a good question, though. I mean, like, and and I guess that's the risk you take when you finance a movie. Um, Fortunately for Avatar, first one was so successful i imagine the second one uh people are going to go to the theaters to see the second one the second one is going to have a great return on the investment i imagine um it's like the third and the fourth one right it's if the second one isn't great people aren't necessarily going to be in a rush to go back to the theaters to see the third installment right uh if the third installment isn't phenomenal then the fourth installment really is just uh it's a liability at that point like it, it could potentially lose money uh you know People underestimate how much like a billion dollars really is. Um, it is a lot of fucking money, like a billion dollars. I mean, if you spent like a million dollars a day, um, it would take you uh, fuck, uh, like 20 years, 30 years. Well, no, it would definitely take you. It'd probably take you like 20, 30, 40 years or something like that to spend a billion. Right. That's a Maybe. Lot of I don't money. know. <laughs> That's a lot of fucking money. dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's only so many fucking airliners you can buy, like <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And so and so, yeah. I, I you know I think it's very interesting that um, that they they've done you know these Avatar movies in this particular way, right? Um, now, look, I'm not gonna try to hate on the uh, Avatar movies, even though I think one we had the whole uh, Endgame versus Avatar because you know Event, uh, Endgame was going to break the uh, box office or was looking to break the uh, box office um, record. 
uh, that's when Avatar's name obviously came back up, uh, as well as you know them working on these sequels. Um, you know, uh, let us not forget Avatar did gross, I think, well over two billion dollars uh, just on its own. You know, uh, when it came out into uh, coming out in theaters, I think in two thousand nine, um, and so that's a fucking amazing feat. You know, that should not be understated. Um, but the problem is, is that game has changed dramatically since those <laughs> since those days. You know, and I'm so fucking curious to see if it's going to be greeted the same way that first uh the first film did because they were they had a couple things that were going its way right like so the whole 3d wave was just starting it was really like the first major release that was like released um using the 3d you know technology that everybody was like holy shit like you got to go see this this is mind-blowing right but quickly we realized that nobody fucks with 3d movies like (laughs) you know like if i go to a movie if somebody's like if somebody's like i'll pay for your ticket to go to a to a 3d movie i'll say thanks but no thanks i would not like to participate in watching this 3d movie give me a regular fucking ticket and we can see the movie separately for all i care i don't care i'm not going to a 3d movie (laughs) yeah Um, It'll take a lot for me to go to see a 3D movie. I mean, not only do you have to pay for my ticket, you also have to pay for like I need a I need a slushy, and I need like a box of candy. You know, munch a yeah. bunch of crunch a munch, or I need some like gummy bears or something. And I'm gonna need a little hand job or something like that in a theaters if I can't <laughs> go for the, the full blowy. <laughs> I don't know. Whoever. But I'm gonna need something to keep me awake. Okay. <laughs> Fair and, enough. And you gotta bring um, a little vape pen or something like that. But yeah, 3D <laughs> movies are just not. Um, I can't think of any 3D movie that I've like really enjoyed that I've been like, this is really worth it. That I couldn't have just seen like the regular version of it and enjoyed it as much. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that. Um, yeah, 3D is necessarily worth it. But again, like that's why I'm talking about that in the context of, you know, these uh, these sequels uh, is that they're going to be greeted to a very much you know different world. And honestly speaking, I don't know if at least for me, if the avatar uh, avatar world that was created was interesting enough to like be tremendously excited for, you know, a multiple, you know, uh, multiple sequel story arcs. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be like spinoffs and shit. Um, but I don't know if I really care too much about the, you know, uh, avatar world in order to justify, you know, these guaranteed sequels, because look, whether they like it or not, they're going to fucking make these sequels, right? Like they're not going to come back to us and be like, ah, we're just going to scrap those, you know, like we're going <laughs> to, we're going to go back to the, dr- no, you're not going to go back to the fucking drawing board. We spent a billion fucking dollars. <laughs> the shits are coming out. Yeah. I don't care if the world ends. <laughs> like the shits are coming out regardless. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, yeah so the benefit of, the, the benefit of the second movie is that like they had the, the, the obviously uh, James Cameron is, is directing the next few films where they have the same cast returning uh, Sam Worthington, uh, Zoe Saldana, as well as uh, Sigourney Weaver. They're, they are all returning to their original roles. This next film is rumored to be taking place underwater. Um, so they're going from the world. Uh, I forget what that fucking planet was called, um, but they're going from I that planet. I, I haven't watched yeah. Avatar since 2009. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's too long. I'm not watching that shit again. Um, but they're going from like the world that they were on in um, in the original Avatar film to this uh, new like underwater environment. I don't know if it's on the same planet or it's a, it's an entirely different world altogether. But again, the cast is returning. So I think that element 
uh, we'll bring people back to the theaters, same cast, new environment um, for th- three and four. I mean, listen, I've got one more in the tank. OK, maybe you can drag me to Avatar three. Maybe, um, you know, at least I think the third and the fourth movies, they have to be like on Netflix or something like that. It has to be a digital release. Uh, I'm not going to the theaters to see three and four. That's six. That's like four or five years away. I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing in 2025 to have the appetite to see Avatar three and four. I might be in yeah. prison. What the shit I say? <laughs> <laughs> who knows <laughs> no I, I mean i i don't i, I kind of see it a little differently like it, it, to me it's not about like whether i'd like go see it or not because it's like well yeah if they just if they said they're going to come out with the avengers movie you know they're, if they're coming out with four more avengers movies i'm like yeah i'm probably going to see all them shits you know just because i fuck with it you know but like if, it's because it's avatar that i'm kind of like super lukewarm I'll probably still go see it in theaters, but like, it's not going to be like, I'm not dying to go see it. Like I, I honestly, it, I probably could miss it. Like, you know, like I wouldn't be heartbroken if, Oh shit, I didn't get to see that on the big screen. Um, but it, w- with all that being said, I think it is actually pretty cool what they're doing. What James Cameron's doing, man, is, is, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty innovative. Um, and it, and it's pretty, um, pretty ballsy, man, uh, of him to try to pull it off this way. Uh, and so, you know, uh, I think what can be said about his career is, is that he's never been shy for, you know, uh, of doing things that aren't, you know, that are, are more forward looking than they are, <laughs> you know, than they are in, in you know, in the times. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, so looking at these pictures of them, you know, in, in you know, doing all this motion capture stuff in the water uh, and seeing them work uh, with this, it's, it's pretty fucking cool. You know, I'm sure it'll be very innovative when it comes out, but also... Yeah, unless like we have like fucking smell of vision or some shit like that. I don't know. We we can uh, <laughs> we, we we can go ahead and uh you know, yeah. Uh I, I could probably miss a couple of these. Um but anyway. Yeah, moving uh moving forward here. Let me just make sure I'm good. Uh Yeah, okay. So let's uh let's jump into our fifth uh main topic here. And I'm actually really excited to talk about this one because it's pretty neat. Um so obviously, you know, we're in, you know, these quarantine times and it's basically just shut everything down. Um and, you know, any any event where there's like a large gathering of people, whether it is just, you know, uh uh going to the movies or really anything, uh, you know, even just people just talking in the fucking same place is is pretty frowned upon these days. Uh, you know, even uh, <laughs> very true. Yeah, even as we sort of you know kind of ramp back up to get back into uh, to, to sort of the normal circumstances, so to speak. Um, but uh, but we get an article from IndieWire um, uh, that actually speaks to what film festivals are doing, and and I've been increasingly interested in not just what film festivals are doing, but just what productions are doing overall, right? And we're, we're going to deal with the story a little later on that uh, that that has to do with that. Uh, but we get this article from Tom Powers, who is writing for IndieWire, and he basically goes through like this list of like ten things, right? That uh, that festivals can do to essentially kind of you know change with the times, you know, uh, and things are changing at a ever, you know, rapid pace, um, you know, and, and, uh, and these festivals have to be able to, to adapt. Um, and so, uh, we, we get this article from, from, from powers 
Um, and <clears throat> he again, he goes through his, his sort of 10 things, right? So the first thing that he talks about is uh, a change of attitude that uh, if you're a filmmaker right now, you basically have to have a different sort of uh, a different expectation level of you know what you're going to be able to do with your film once you're once it's complete you know if you are lucky enough to even get it to that stage um, of being complete uh, you know in today's climate um, what your expectation is on the back end uh, it, it has to shift a little bit where I think the norm was to play the uh, the festival circuit um, and to physically you know have your movie show on these these screens um, at, at these festivals but that that has to change because you know of course you know that isn't happening today you know uh, as well as like even in the future you know that that this might not happen in the same way uh, anymore uh, because of all the the restrictions and you know social distancing sort of protocols um, so uh, so yeah so he, he his first thing was really about um, uh, having filmmakers sort of change their mentality uh, uh, to, to adjust to the to the new reality. And then he talks about geoblocking, which is very important. Uh, so geoblocking and uh, restricted viewing. Um, so he basically lays out how these festivals are sort of operating in that, um, you know, they, they essentially have like essentially three restrictions. Um, uh, and uh, for one, that they're being geo-blocked, meaning that you can only view them within certain regions, but then also uh, the ticket uh, purchases are capped. Uh, and, you know, I think they're, you know, um, what they're seeing is, is that they're they're trying to average it out to like between 500 and, and 1,000 tickets. Uh, and then ticket buyers uh, only have a certain window that they can, uh, they can purchase or, or view this the, the content in. So they only have about 30 hours to watch, uh, similar to when you may rent something on, you know, whatever, you know, VOD rental site that uh, that you might go to, whether it's uh, YouTube or uh, Google or uh, Apple or whatever your, you know, rental, whatever it is. Um, and so I, I think all those are, those are you know, uh, and again, this is an evolving process, so I'm sure there's going to be more things that get added to it and, and things about the process that get tweaked, uh, but I think that's at least a start, uh, and it helps the filmmakers out still getting their material out there if they do these things uh, like geoblocking and, and restricted viewing in order to sort of kind of still be able to control who can watch it. Uh, of course, there's going to be people out there, you know, fucking... Uh, doing what they do as far as you know stealing content and, and you know putting it out themselves uh, but uh, but I think it might be a case where you kind of let them do the PR for you then in that case if, if somebody thinks your film is yeah. worthy enough to you know to, to download and to uh, to start showing themselves then fuck it let them let them do that marketing for you of course this the the, the buyers won't like that at all like this, this, these distributors won't like the fact that you know these movies are available to do that with but you know, whatever they, you know, they're going to have to do, they're going to have to make some concession somewhere. So. Yeah. I think these first two are interesting, uh, interestingly connected, right? So going back to the first one, change of attitude. I mean, that's, that's absolutely necessary at this point. If you're a filmmaker, if you're a writer, if you're a director, if you're involved in the film industry in general, even if you're like on the front side of the camera, right? If you're an actor or an, or an actress, changing your attitude, uh, and adapting to like the current climate is an absolute must. If you don't, you're really just fucking yourself over or you're just screwing your project over. Um, like the, the article references 
um, Julie, uh, Julia Reichert and Steve Bogar, who are, um, you know, uh, Oscar winning directors uh, of the f a film called American Factory. Uh, and they had a, they had a film that they were preparing to debut at South by Southwest, obviously South by Southwest got canceled. Um, and initially what they were hoping to do was to, like hold on to the film um, and then to release it once the coronavirus uh, pandemic was over, maybe even hold it on to it until 2021. Uh, but then they had to come to the realization that, you know, by 2021, uh, who knows if like there will be a, um, you know, a, an appetite for this project, right? And on top of that, there'll be other filmmakers that are ready to bring other projects to the table. So like, uh, you know, the landscape will be even more competitive then than it is now. So you got to change your attitude instead of wanting to like hold on to your project. You got to just think about how else can we release this project and accomplish the same goals through like a digital platform. Um, and then again, it ties into the second one, uh, geo-blocking uh, or restricted viewing, because, you know, that's essentially what South by South, South by Southwest is, right? So South by Southwest, I believe it takes place in Austin, Texas every year, right? Um, mm -hmm. And to in order to view these films that are being that are appearing at South by Southwest, you have to be aware in Austin, Texas, there are what limited amount of view uh, people who can attend these uh, viewings, um, and there it's during a pretty restricted time of the year. So, a lot of the things that these you know festivals, South by Southwest, Cannes Film Festival, Tribeca Film Festival, whatever, a lot of the things that they're accomplishing can be accomplished through a digital platform as long as you have a strategy. You know, where are we going to release it? Who's going to be able to access it? People in Texas, people in California, people who live in certain regions of the country. How many people are we going to allow access this content? And for how long is the content going to be available? Um, you know, you, you employ those strategies and, and you, know, you still have a successful pro uh, product that is shoppable by some of the major uh, studios. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, long story short, you just have to adapt with the times. Um and uh and yeah so that that leads me to um to the the next thing that he said which is i believe the the third uh, uh sort of uh, way that you know people have to have to adapt is uh distributors uh distributors have to be willing to engage uh i believe he puts it as um and you know basically he's basically saying that the bottom line is uh um that that buying is still competitive you know uh and you know as you even you know were saying before that yeah if we thought you know f the buying process was was competitive before oh, it's going to be way fucking more com uh, uh competitive now because um because essentially we're going to have like a mad rush like once everything sort of opens back up and everybody's able to get back to work and do this do that these festivals might be you know still you know go back to even if they were to go back to doing you know the regular physical you know in-person screenings things like that well you know uh things are going to be just as competitive um and so not only is it incumbent upon the filmmakers to uh, to, to make sure that they're sort of adapting with the times and, and making sure that they're still sort of on their P's and Q's and, and not missing opportunities just because, you know, they like to, you know, stick their you know, nose up at, you know, potentially doing an online festival. But also these distributors have to essentially play that same game too, that no, nah, nah, nigga, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be able to do some work too, you know, um, you know, uh, and you can't run the risk of missing out on, on certain films just because they were showing online that you can't just favor films that are showed, you know, in, in, you know, in physical form um, because it's just not, 
the reality anymore. You know, that's just not a reality anymore that, oh, only, you know, small or terrible films are getting shown online that, you know, the, the, the bigger films, the better films are the ones that are actually showing at, you know, phys- physically at festivals. Um, I think that 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 mentality is just gone purely out of the window. Um, and then that leads to the next uh, one that he says is, uh, which is better media analysis is that, you know, the media also has to play a role in that and that they can't, um, they can't just, you know, essentially play um, favorites with which films that they look at and which films they don't based on whichever ones actually get physically showing at a, at a, at a, at a festival um, that they have to sort of value the online ones as much as they do, uh, you know, ones that are, that are shown, uh, you know, in real life. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a critical point to make because there's this like there's this idea about like film festivals that, you know, it, because, you know, it's crazy how many film festivals that there there actually are. But there are some ones out there that are just like, yo, this is like it's like a 12 year old in his basement, um, you know, who's collecting all these fucking movies. Uh, but then there's bigger ones, you know, that are like Tribeca, and, you know, or uh you know sundance all these all these you know mainstream sort of uh festivals um and what i I think may be the tendency and again i'm not a i you know i don't do this for a living so i couldn't tell you but i think what the tendency is is to look at some of those online ones as like the very far removed stepchildren to (laughs) you know the festivals that are you know that that are physical you know um physical festivals um but again that all has all kind of been thrown out of the window uh given you know the current state that we uh that we're in um yeah uh, under normal circumstances you may think if a film has appeared at tribeca film festival sundance or Cannes film festival south by southwest that that film is uh you know it's it's a bigger film it's it's a film to look a little bit closer at but you know again these are not normal circumstances um so to your point i mean for better media analysis and i think that ties right into the fifth one on the list here like uh which is foster a spirit of discovery if you are a viewer you know someone like you, you um, myself and, and yourself you know this is the point where you got to get you know you got to explore a little bit right you know what films are out there besides the one on Hulu and Netflix and Apple TV or Disney Plus, like, where can I go to find some of these films? I think what Amazon did a couple weeks ago uh, was pretty amazing in in featuring those films that were supposed to be featured at South by Southwest on their platform. Uh, But that's not it. Like, you can actually go out and discover a lot of these films for yourself. Um, and, And for people on the media side of it, right, whether you do a podcast like we do, or if you're actual film critic, now is a time where you gotta, like, you really gotta step your game up, right? Because it's not just like you can go to Cannes or Sundance, and because you're there and you see these movies, then you you are now the, uh, like, you know, one of the go-to uh, voices within the industry in order to like uh, uh, review a film. Now that they're gonna be online it's going to be up to those people in the media to go out and find these films. Like where, what platforms are they showing at? Um, what, what, what websites are they showing at? Let me actually go out and find these films and review them and kind of be ahead of the curve. So I think the, uh, the mentality on both sides has to change. Like if you love movies and, and you have a Netflix account, that's great. But like, where else can you find a lot of these great projects? If you're on the media side and it's your responsibility uh, to, you know, 
uh, give reviews on, you know, some of these, you know, independent films that are, that would appear at like a Cannes or Sundance, you still have to go out and find those projects now that, now that they're online. So uh, the game's changing, it's evolved, right? And, um, you know, it's happening on both sides of the line. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what uh, this uh, this guy, Tom, talks about uh, during it is this kind of fostering discovery, right, uh, is, uh, you know, having kind of just as much excitement to look for a movie that's online than you would if you just went to a festival and sat down and, you know, go through that whole experience. Because it is a special thing, you know, to uh, it, you see a movie before anybody else does and to like go to a particular festival and be able to like talk to people and and yada yada but um but yeah you just have to kind of be more content with um actually you know finding them online and you know just like you would any other movie watch them and and and, and then report on it um and then that leads into just new approaches as far as like q a's go that uh that you know q a's are going to have to because a, a large part of film festivals are q a's that you know the question and answer segment at the like say like a film shows and then after it the director or you know a panel of like the director and um people who are involved in the film whether it be producers or the the actors actresses in it you know um will sit down and talk to the, the audience about the film um any questions that they might have uh, you know, and, and that this has to change, but also I think this is, this is, this might create some permanent situations because, uh, part of the hard part of going to, or getting accepted to a festival, uh, at least to, from what I understand is, uh, is the actual cost of going to a festival. So you have some, fe and no two festivals I think are, are the same. That's there's some come with some advantages, some come with other advantages where some might pay for you to come, you know, to the, to the festival. Some others might, and you're responsible for your own, you know, uh, travel and, and all that stuff. Um, but it's important for you to go so that you can like be able to be face to face with, uh, the audience or, you know, the, pe the people who are watching your films. Um, but then even further to that, the people who might actually be buying your films, you know, are, are, are there and it's good to have like FaceTime with them and be able to get in certain rooms and, and, and all that good stuff. So now if you change the game where now it's not a physical location that you actually have to go to, well, now I don't have to spend that, you know, uh, uh, you know a couple stacks to, to go, you know, to Los Angeles or to go to New York or wherever, wherever it is, especially if you're a smaller filmmaker from out of nowhere, you know, if you're, if you're coming from Wyoming, you know, and you're having to travel wherever this cuts down on all, all the costs. So accessibility, I think changes in this case, case scenario, um, uh, as far as how you interact with not just distributors, but also people who might want to, you know, uh, just people who are fans of your film that might want to, you know, talk about it. Um, so this, this changes, uh, the game for that, but as well as like, you know, not just financial aspect, what if you're disabled as well, right? That I think in the same article, he, he, he talks, uh, at length about, uh, a gentleman who was, uh, in a wheelchair that, you know, they were trying to figure out how that was all going to work. And now they don't necessarily have to, because everybody's just doing a shit ton of like zoom, uh, meetings and, you know, uh, and Q and a sessions. Um, and then, uh, let, let's get through the last, uh, few real quick. Um, but uh, what he, he lists, uh, recognize that each film has its own uh, community, which is, is completely right, that depending on what your film is, um, you know, it, it, it might have its own. And, and I guess this is more for the, the festival people than it is, you know, the actual people who made the film. Or maybe it might be for them, too. I don't know. But uh, you each film has its own sort of thing, you know, and hopefully you've crafted it to the point where you know, it, it's got a niche, you know, it's, 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 it's got an angle. It's, it's got something that people might recognize that people might, you know, identify specifically with, you know, 
um, you know, no matter what your your topic is. Uh, so he's just saying keep that in mind, and also, uh, and he talks about also about industry connections and innovation. That, um, uh, you know, so so he, and let me read directly here. Uh, online meetings have advantages of their own. Uh, at Hot Docs, meetings were spread across several weeks instead of just uh, three days. Uh, and and companies like Netflix, Hulu, uh, Participant Media, and Sundance Institute, which typically sent one representative to Toronto, saw multiple representatives take meetings. And so, like shit like that is 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 incredibly important, right? That if you generally have one person traveling everywhere as a representative for whatever the distributors are, like Netflix or whoever. Um, uh, well, now you get to have like three or four people, you know, who who you can potentially yeah. um, have access to or, or be able to to to, to meet uh, if you're at any particular festival, which is like that's invaluable, you know. Um, and so uh, and so yeah, and then uh, innovation as well uh, as far as um, you know doing things that are outside of the normal box. So if you're some of these festivals, you know, maybe you go about promoting and things like that a lot differently than you would have otherwise, right? Like finding different neat ways to just like get the message out there, get the word out there about some of these films um, goes a long way. And uh, then the last one is uh, patience and uh, compassion, you know, basically just given the fucking time that we're living in, you know, being patient and being compassionate uh, about uh, this whole process that it's it's new for everybody, you know, for, for the most part. So, yeah, just take that into consideration when you're dealing with yeah. people. You know. I, th I think that's an important one. Like if you're a filmmaker and you, if you had a film that was supposed to appear at one of the big uh, festivals, film festivals that was supposed to happen in 2020, um, and that appearing at that film festival may have been the make or break for your project, right? Uh, we are in uncertain times. And like, let's say because we've been forced to shift from, you know, where we were able to go outside to now where it's not entirely safe to go outside or at least being large groups, um, that might break your project, unfortunately, right? The film that you had worked the past two years on creating you know, it may not be as successful as you thought it was going to be, um, it may not be successful at all because of the nature of what's going on here and everybody's dealing with it in different ways. Um, so, you know, you got to be compassionate to both other filmmakers, you know, show a little bit of compassion to yourself. I feel like that's not as, uh, as, as easy as it sounds. Um, and at the end of the day, you got to keep working. Like the world hasn't stopped. It's just slowed down a little bit and it's changed a little bit. You got to adapt to that change. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is strictly about adaption or die, you know? And so, you know, you don't want to find yourself in a position where you could have some, uh, you could have some opportunities, but you let them go by because you're so locked into the old way of, of thinking that, uh, it does, this really does require everybody to be a little more forward thinking and being a little more flexible in terms of what you think is, uh, is acceptable. Um, yeah. And, and if you were going to go, if you were like someone who were going to attend any of these film festivals, right. If you were going to go to South by Southwest, I think a big part of that last one on the list, um, you know, be compassionate is, uh, it, just because you're not physically able to attend the event doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and look for the things that you would have or could have experienced while you were at the event. So if you were going to go to South by Southwest and you were interested in seeing what films were um, going to be shown there, you should still have that interest in those films and, and, and wanting to find those projects. And a lot of them have shifted to online platforms. So still look for them, you know, be compassionate to those filmmakers and those creators who are going to be at South by Southwest to show you their project and go look for them online. Yeah. 100%. All right, let's uh let's trek forward here. Um so 
and I constantly do this, but uh, there we go. Um, so let's talk about uh, we're, we're, we're kind of consistently doing um, this uh, this Rona update to talk about sort of like some updates to the virus uh, and how it's affecting the film industry. Um, so uh, so the last story we talked about as far as like film festivals being, you know, being able to sort of adjust to the landscape. Uh, that was uh, that was the first story. But then uh, th we have this other story that um, you know that talked about what uh, a majority of filmmakers are, are filmmakers. Uh, what uh, a majority of moviegoers are going to do, um, you know, uh, potentially in this new environment. Uh, so with the last segment, we talked about what filmmakers and what distributors and all them are going to do. Now let's kind of flip the, the the script, so to speak, and and talk about the the viewing audience and, and how they're going to sort of engage. And so we got this uh, this yeah. interesting article out of a deadline. Um, that uh, was this deadline or, or Yahoo Entertainment? Uh, so it was by proxy, right? So like the original article is through deadline, and then um, Yahoo just basically ah, regurgitates okay. gotcha. the same article. Um, and so um, so it, it, they're basically there. There's this um, uh, EDO moviegoer uh, study that was uh, it was titled uh, movie theaters and social distance uh, social distancing and uh, it just gives you a, like a, a weird or, or like just a, a, a potential um, glimpse of what we might get uh, you know on, on you know the return of, of you know moviegoers to theaters once you know they o open back up uh, hopefully um, let's start with the first one here 75 percent of respondents said uh, there would uh, th there were more likely to return to cinemas uh, upon um, reopening. Uh, whoops, I lost my place here. Uh, upon reopening, uh, when Tenet, Mulan, and Russell Crowe's <laughs> unhinged. And uh, you know what's so funny about this is that they listed it last, even though it's it's literally it's coming first. Uh, so unhinged is is going to be the first movie that comes out in theaters. That's like the new movie um in theaters it's probably because it was just a quick last minute edit <laughs> like yeah, nobody oh, knew no. that movie was going to be first no no so i they, think it was purposeful they're, they're like look they're like look you're going to get tenant you're going to get mulan and yeah okay you'll, you'll get this other russell crowe movie as well <laughs> uh, and they made sure that they they said it was russell crowe right uh that they just didn't say unhinged because they're like nobody's gonna know what the fuck that is um so, uh, so yeah. Anyways, uh, they, so seventy-five percent of respondents said that they were more likely to return to theaters uh, once these, um, you know, um, once these uh, films hit the uh, hit, hit the theaters. Ninety-one percent said uh, theaters uh, should have hand sanitized, um, uh, hand sanitized uh, stations uh, throughout the the, the building. Um, Eighty-six percent are in favor of. Uh, limited show times to allow uh, to ex uh, for extended cleaning times between screenings, uh, which I really don't even understand because it's like, dude, it's it's a fucking theater with, and most of them just have like, you know, cloth seats or, or seatings that have like material on it that's not like leather. So like, good luck cleaning that shit um, consistently. Uh, and then uh, the other factors uh, encouraging the movie-going population to come back uh, include uh, cinema employees wearing masks, which is seventy-seven percent, said that they would return, you know, if if uh, 
percent of employees wear masks. Seventy percent, around seventy percent, said uh, employees getting their uh, temperatures checked before work is important. And then uh, another seventy percent said attendees also uh, wearing masks uh, is important uh, for them to return. Uh, nearly sixty percent of moviegoers are open to having their temperatures taken when they return to cinemas. Which, honestly speaking, uh, is kind of. Um, it's more than I, I would have expected in that case. Uh, you know, if there's one thing that I know about people is I hate telling them they have, they have to do certain shit before they get to do what they want to do. <laughs> so I was actually yeah, pretty surprised about that one. And surveys are always interesting in how people respond, right? I think a lot of people respond to surveys in a way that they think they would like to feel or behave, um, not necessarily actually behave right so like for everybody who said that oh they would you know consider wearing a mask if they were to go to movie theaters or they would feel comfortable if um the theaters had hand sanitizing stations and blah 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 when it comes time to actually either go out to the movie theater or purchase that ticket to see that movie you know are those things really going to matter to the to these people right or are they even going to go see the movie theater like if i were to say oh yeah if, if employees were to wear face masks i would go to see a movie and then when uh, tenant comes out i'm still not going to go see that movie because that's when the danger uh, is is all the more real right uh so yeah. i don't know and i also wonder like who conducted this study i bet like amc movie theaters conducted the study and surveyed oh. all their employees and told their employees <laughs> respond a certain way or you're fired um, so, <laughs> yeah. so I need to know a little bit more about who conducted this study, but, yeah. um, so, I mean, so, some, some of the stuff, so makes actually, sense, some of it doesn't. Yeah. So actually I, I can tell you who actually did the study. Uh, it's just, uh, I think it's a company uh, called EDO, um, and it's actually backed by, um, Edward Norton, weirdly enough, um, where they were behind this particular study. Uh, so I just thought that was, uh, that was a little interesting tidbit. Um, but then I also thought uh, this was interesting. 5% of people believe uh, no safety measurements should be implemented, which uh, is, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's 5% too much, uh, which is, uh, but I mean, what are you going to get? Uh, you know, this is America. So, of course, people, those people uh, are probably like Trump voters who like, oh, I've taken my chloroquine yeah. vaccine and this is America. <laughs> God damn it. I, I want to get back to work. I work in those movie yeah. theaters. I want to earn a living. Um, yeah. <laughs> here's one of my biggest fears about going back to the movie theaters, right? Um, mm -hmm. The entire philosophy behind like how these businesses operate are going to have to change. Uh, if you go back to 2019, the majority of movie theaters, in my experience, were a lot of like young high school kids, like working, you know, at the concession stand or the ticket stand or cleaning up the movie theaters, like after a movie ends, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that young people don't take things like this seriously and don't value their safety and public safety. Um, but it is, I, I would imagine there's a challenge in getting like some 16 year old kid who this might be their first job to really understand how serious it might be to deep clean the movie theater after each showing uh, before the next showing, right? And not like skip any steps along the way. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to be a little bit more challenging than possible uh, than than we realize, and I don't know if that challenge uh, and the possible missteps along the way is worth the risk of public safety. Like, you know, was that theater clean? Was it clean correctly? And yeah. should I go to that theater and sit in that seat? That's going to be, you know, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to have to come to grips with that before I'm even going to go there. Right. And I think a lot of people, once yeah. they start asking themselves those questions, the answer is going to be, no, it's not worth it. Yeah. But that, but that, I think that that is the dilemma that, uh, you know, a lot of these, these chickens are coming home to roost. Right. Uh, so this is the problem that, that many people for, for a lot of fucking years have been screwed about the whole idea of capitalism. Right. Is that this is where shit gets fucked up, right? Because when you meet a, a situation like this and you're not paying people like even enough to afford like just to live a, just a really super basic life, right? If they can't just work this one job and just be able to afford like the bare necessities of life, if the if you can't even pay them enough for that, like I'm sure a lot of these people working in the movie theaters that who are going to be cleaning them are are you know doing. Well, yeah, then you're not really incentivizing them to do, you know, go the extra mile and, and make sure that they do a really great job, right? You know, when you're making, you know, like $10 an hour or something like that and, and you know, at the end of the day, you're working like two other jobs, then it might not even be a case where you don't even care, but maybe you're just like, maybe you're you, you were working on like three hours of sleep. So you're like, fuck, like I can't even <laughs> keep my goddamn eyes open, much less pay attention to like what the fuck I'm cleaning right now. Um, yeah. And so uh, a lot of those, a lot of those situations and a lot of those problems are now showing themselves as very evident, um, you know, because I had the same thought when I was reading through this, that, that like, you know, how are we actually going to guarantee that these places are actually going to, to be clean when the people cleaning them and, and I'm not, I'm not calling them out by any means and saying like, oh, like, you know, they're shitty or they do a bad job or whatever. But it's just like, bro, like, I know personally, I wouldn't give a, you know, too much of a shit if, you know, the place was that clean. If, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm working two jobs and, you know, they're not really paying me that much. And, uh, you know, they should treat me like shit otherwise. Um, you know, so, yeah, like, I think a lot of those, <laughs> treat me like shit. a lot of those uh, treat you like shit, you know I mean? Like, I wonder how do? many people. Um, actually have a job in which they're treated like shit <laughs> dude what like, are you talking I mean, about that's like that's america's like that's america's motto is <laughs> america where we love to treat you like shit yeah <laughs> but, but again i still wonder it's like uh, some you might have like a job you don't love right or you might work with people that you don't love or your boss may be like a bit demanding of you your boss may even be a dick but <laughs> How many people actually have a job where they're literally like treated like shit at their job? It depends on what your definition so, of treated like shit is. Like if they come into work and the first thing that's said to them is "fuck you," you know, go <laughs> go clean up the bathrooms, and and then throughout the day they're constantly abused and harassed and belittled. How many people actually have jobs like those? Um, and if you do, fortunately, there is a such thing called unemployment, right? So if I work in a movie theater, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm a 16, 17 year old kid, or I may, I may be 25, 30 years old, right? Um, to, in order to get me to come back there and put myself at risk by cleaning these theaters after, you know, 100 people just went and watched unhinged, uh, you know, I don't know why they would, but, you know, a hundred people just went and saw on the hinge. Now I got to come into that movie theater and clean it. I'm putting myself at risk, right? You, you asked me to check my temperature when I came to work. I've got to wear a face mask when I'm at work and gloves. Um, there are all these other safety protocols uh, at hand. And again, I'm putting myself at risk. You're going to have to pay me a lot more than, you know, minimum wage or, you know, even some like bullshit, you know, $15 an hour, you have to pay me a lot more than that 
in order to work here. That means the price of ticket sales and admissions to movies may go up. That means concession prices may go up. Um, and, and what we know about capitalism is like these big movie theater chains are not gonna wanna pay their employees more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are always going to be some people who are willing to do it for less. So it's like, it's a lose-lose situation. Either prices go up um, because employees are getting paid more or um, prices go down because they want uh, people to come back to the movie theaters, but that means the employees are getting paid less. And who knows if the employees even want to work there, if that's the case. There's so many different variables here that we don't know yet. I think, I think it's too soon. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's too soon to, um, yeah, I think it's too soon to reopen, but at the same time, we, we we have to be keeping our eyes ahead of like, okay, well, what does that world actually like look like, right? Because like, so for instance, you mentioned unemployment. I mean, unemployment is a finite thing, right? It doesn't, unemployment doesn't last forever. And I believe, you know, it was a conversation actually that we had that you put me on to something. I was like, holy shit, like that is true. I didn't even think about that. Is that, well, if you thought the job market was competitive before, well, fuck. Uh, <laughs> imagine what it's going to be now, you know, now that everybody's vying for all the same jobs, you know, um, triple time because everybody's unemployed at the same time, you know, uh, in, in, in such large, uh, quantities. And so, yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure what the healthy sort of fix is for it, but I know that, you know, those mistakes or not even what they wouldn't even view as mistakes, but those things that companies have like taken advantage of for years, which is, yeah, just, you know, if there's anything we can cut corners on is paying our employees. <laughs> you know, we can buy the state of the art technology. We can have all this, have all that, but we're not going to pay our employees shit, especially if we don't consider them to be like valuable, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, if we consider it to be like a low wage job uh, just because we consider it as such. Um, but it's so funny how all those low wage jobs ended up being the most critical <laughs> parts of our uh, society, you know, with the, with the, you know, the case of this, this pandemic, but, uh, but alas, we, uh, we, we move forward here. Uh, so let's talk about another story yeah. that I wish so, I had up immediately. <laughs> no worries. I'll start off. So um, this is an article from uh, variety.com, uh, which talks about Tyler Perry reopening his Atlanta studio in July uh, to begin production on two projects, one being sisters and the other being oval. Um, so, and, and I'll read verbatim here. Um, Variety can confirm that production at the Tyler Perry Studios on BET's Sisters will begin on July 8th, with the Oval starting on July 28th. Um, uh, BET announces a 22 uh, announced a 22 order of both shows. Um, so again, in short, this article is just announcing that Tyler Perry will reopen his studio in Atlanta uh, to begin these two projects, which will be featured on BET. Uh, oh, scary hours. uh again i think uh and and the the studio notes that that they will be going through necessary protocols in order to keep um uh staff safe and to tell you a little bit about tyler perry studio so uh, the studio sits on 330 acres of land which he purchased in 2015 for 30 million dollars which that seems crazy that you can get 330 acres for only 30 million dollars and build this um and obviously a lot of money went into the development of the studios but not bad Tyler Perry smart fucking guy um so uh, I must have a numbers guy yeah so again 330 
330 acres of land is, is where this production studio sits. They're going to go through necessary protocols like screening um, people on the production staff, obviously like, you know, all, all the things that everyone's talking about, checking temperatures, hand sanitizing, deep cleanings, so on and so on. Um, what do you think about this? Again, I think everything's too soon. Maybe I'm just a skeptic. Um, but what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, w w one aspect of it that I've been very curious about is are, are how uh, how productions are actually going to start back up because maybe even more so than movie theaters, maybe even more so than um, than a lot of these other things that we're, we're concerned with the actual production of a movie is a pretty fucking intimate process where you're in very close proximity to people. You've got people working on top of other people, right? So you have various departments that are essentially, it's like building blocks, right? Like one department does something and then another department has to come and do the same thing. And it's just like people are touching the same shit. People are in the same areas. Like it's all just happening at the same fucking time. So I've been actually really curious about like, well, what's going on going on with the production side of it once everything you know opens back up, so to speak? Um, and so uh, this particular article, it actually did give uh, some some insight to that. Um, and I'm going to skip to the to the bottom here. Uh, to, yeah, okay. So I'm going to read uh, again uh, from the article myself. Um, so it says, uh, while most of the crew on Sisters in the Oval are Atlanta based, Perry will use his personal private uh, plane to fly cast. Um, in from New York and Los Angeles after they are tested for coronavirus before boarding. So that's one test. Uh, upon arriving in Atlanta, they will head straight to set where all cast and crew will immediately be tested again for COVID-19. So that's two tests. Awaiting their results for uh, for four hours before they are uh, cleared to work, Carlos uh, Del Rio, professor at the uh, Emory Vaccine Center in Georgia, will serve as the testing consultant. Testing will occur four times during the two and a half, uh, uh, two and a half week shoot. So I think both of these shows are are essentially going to take a couple weeks to uh, a couple weeks and change to uh, to, to shoot. Um, so uh, hearing about that whole process is like holy shit, dude! It's like fucking. It's like being at a fucking military base, you know, of like, you know, you're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to like look outside. <laughs> like it's like fucking it's the you know, they're going to treat like the apocalypse is fucking outside, which, you know, to be perfectly honest, they probably should if they're going to try to keep production rolling. Because the first case of fucking coronavirus that steps through any sort of production, well, that that production essentially has to shut down. Like there is yeah. no, oh, we're going to deep clean real quick and like we'll be, you know, we'll go back to work. No, because then you got to test everybody like it's just like, dude, there's so many points of failure with this because it's like people are going to leave the lot, you know, um, which is, you know, people are going and, and coming and it's just like keeping track of all that. It's just like, bro, that's, yeah. that's and, a lawsuit waiting to happen. And the last thing you want to risk is like, you know, the, the talent getting, getting uh, or c contracting the virus, right? Your, your lead actor or star, not only is that a lawsuit, but like then you have to really uh, end production. Um, there's a lot of risk here. I mean, I'm glad to hear that they're going through all the necessary precautions, like going through those four tests within that, like, um, within that arrival window, uh, you know, and there's no right answer, right? Like, again, I'm a skeptic. So for me, it's like, everything's too soon. Um, but it's got to start somewhere, right? Someone's got to take that first step to like reopening and, and, and adjusting back to the new normal. Uh, so I, I hope and I wish for all of the, uh, you know, 
best of luck and all of the uh, all possible success to the people at Tyler Perry Studios that are going to be working on this project. I'd love to hear nothing but good news come from this. Um, but it is, you know, it's a really interesting time to, to get back to, to filming, right? Especially since it's not like uh, the cases in, I think what is like 80% of people in the state of Georgia who tested positive for the coronavirus have been like African-Americans, right? And particularly mm -hmm. in the city of Atlanta, which is um, predominantly African-American, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a consideration to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to keep our eye on it and see how it goes. Uh, I definitely want to keep tabs on, like, how each production place, like, how they do, like, how uh, sound stages do, um, because I would have, you know, again, like, I'd have to assume that if, there, if there's even one case of coronavirus, then they're going to shut down production. So that makes me think that, oh, if there is one case, they're going to keep that shit under fucking lock and key about who has it, what's going on. You know, you might just see that person disappear from the set. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, they, you know, suddenly Sally just doesn't show up for work. You know, on Tuesday, you know, ever again. What the fuck happened to her? <laughs> yeah, that was the last we heard from Sally. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's track forward here. Let's uh, let, let, let's talk about our next story. Um, so we've got uh, an interesting story, and I've only seen this at one place, so I'm not even sure about like the, the true credibility, but I thought it would be fun to just chop it up about it nonetheless. Uh, uh, so we got word that uh, it's rumored that uh, the one Tony Montana, I don't know if I should have done that at all. I should have Absolutely. Just, uh, you got to do chosen. it. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, we're getting, a, of course, a new Scarface film, which has been sort of in production or has in, been in sort of uh the perpetual state of uh, uh of getting greenlit um you know for for years now um but uh you know i think they finally sort of greenlit it it's good to go uh and we uh the director is uh luca uh uh good, yeah good luck with that name gino guadagino i believe it's pronounced i don't know uh, close yeah, enough correct me if i'm wrong yeah uh yeah so uh uh, set to to direct the film um and uh now it's rumored that uh the 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 character of tony montana himself is uh will be played by no other than uh than our our, our resident uh boxer in chief um michael b michael b jordan um is is uh the rumor has it is in you know talks to uh to uh let's get a better graphic up here this i don't like this this graphic the way it looks um uh, is in talks to 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 play the uh, the the lead role of uh, Tony Montana, uh, which is uh, very interesting because uh, unless I'm mistaken, uh, Tony Montana is supposed to be Cuban. Am I correct about saying that? Uh, correct. He's supposed to be yeah, I believe he's supposed to be Cuban, and so and obviously speaking, uh, Al Pacino himself he wasn't Cuban, um, or he isn't Cuban rather. Uh, so you know it kind of is what it is but at the same time um yeah that's um that's very interesting that we go with a uh with a michael b jordan not even to say that you know there, there's you know there's there's people who look like michael b who are obviously cuban so it's not out of you know the realm of possibility but it's just a very curious casting choice given that uh that that reality and so there's been a lot of like sort of mixed reactions to uh to, to michael b potentially playing tony montana you know there's been uh there's been uh, uh whispers of cultural appropriation 
thrown out there. And so it's very interesting sort of see those conversations happen. Uh, what do you, what are yeah, your thoughts? And, and I think this is insane, right? It's like, let's, let's like go back in time a little bit, right? So the original Scarface movie was uh, created in 1932. The Scarface yeah. film that we've that we all deem um, know and love the Al Pacino Scarface, which came out in 1983, which also um, uh, starred Michelle Pfeiffer as well. That was a remake, right? Mm -hmm. So not only was the Scarface that we know and love with Al Pacino a remake, that remake was also starring someone who was not of Cuban descent. We all know that Al Pacino born in New York City is of Italian descent, right? Um, so the people who are, you know, saying you know I, I saw on i think it was on reddit people were saying that michael b jordan uh or if they cast an african-american actor as uh, scarface that would be like blackwashing right and that, just the thought of that is insane to me because again here's al pacino who played a cuban uh, uh someone of cuban descent right um i guess there's nothing wrong with that and Again, this, this Al Pacino Scarface film was made in 1983. What's that, like almost 40 years ago? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it is 40 years, is that, is that not enough time to, you know, try and reboot a great film and, and see if it, it could be made better? Um, I, don't, I, don't think, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, as soon as this rumor started to swirl, I liked it. Uh, um, you know, at first, when they just announced that the project may be greenlit, I was like, uh, I don't know. But when they announced Michael B. Jordan, who, um, if you know anything about people of uh, Cuban descent or uh, uh, Dominican descent or Brazilian descent, you know that there are a lot of people who are Cuban, who are Dominican, who are Brazilian, who have like my complexion. Um, shit the barbershop i go to is a dominican barbershop and for the longest they thought i was dominican there are a lot of uh, cuban guys who work there too but so michael b jordan could pull it off like his skin color isn't the problem what's going to be uh what's going to be interesting to see is if he gets the accent down if he gets the mannerisms and just the whole persona of tony montana down but i think in terms of acting we know he has those skills um skin co color complexion is really not an issue because you know cuban people look like michael b jordan um i don't see anything wrong with this i i was surprised to see how many how upset people were yeah um so the first thing i have to correct is uh yeah there, there's just no way that this film is going to be even remotely as good or better than than the 1983 Scarface. It's impossible. They're, that movie is pretty impeccable. Uh, so Brian De Palma, uh, he 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 got himself a good one there. You know, as they as they say, I, I got me a real one. Uh, he got himself a real one when he made this film because um, just like the the way that they were able to go about shooting it, from everything from just Al Pacino's performance to the music, even like I still remember that that the 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 theme uh, or the, the main score of Scarface, it's still with me to this day. You know, I can still remember it, you know, and how it goes. Um, everything about that film was classic. Uh, so I, 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 whether it's Michael B or anybody else for that matter, I don't care who it is. It's just not going to rival it. Um, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, you know, butthurt about it being, um, uh, by being uh, made into a reboot, but at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that like <laughs> there's just no way for me that uh, that that, that um, you know, the, the, this this one's going to be uh, as good or, or better. Uh, yeah. But I, I agree a thousand and one percent with everything else that, uh, that 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 you're saying is is like, you know, it's, it's inconceivable to think that, OK, like Al Pacino, who's of Italian descent, uh, is is playing a Cuban. 
uh, or somebody of Cuban descent. Um, and I'm sure at that time too, maybe there were even some rumblings at that time of like, oh shit, like, you know, why is this happening? Um, uh, so if you, but if you're arguing right now that, oh, like, you know, I can't, this is an outrage, you know, how can you have somebody like Michael B playing Scarface when the person is supposed to be Cuban, but you don't have a problem with Al Pacino, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing the character of Tony Montana. It's you're just not you, your mental mental gymnastics are are just astounding in, in, in that case. Um, but even even more to that is just, just like, well, yeah, then you're not even like you're not even recognizing that there are people who look like Michael V. Jordan who are, fr- you know, who have uh, who are uh, Cuban in, in, in descent. And, you know, uh, and, and to like just kind of uh, and to kind of put a cap on that of like, oh, no, it's got to be a certain person that looks a certain way that, you know, looks a certain way that we're all that we all identify as like, oh, like that person looks this or that. Well, OK, well, now you're just you're, you're just showing your own ignorance in, in, in that case, um, which is uh, which is fine for us in here in America. That's uh, that's typically what we do. We like to show our American way. sleeve. Yeah, it, it genuinely is. Um, you know, uh, but you gotta love it though. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta love how we, we, we revel in our, our own ignorance. Um, uh, yeah. and I'm not even, I'm not even excluding myself from that. I'll, I'll include myself in that boat. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, now as far as Michael B actually playing the character, um, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I think Michael B, he's a, he's a great actor. But there's been certain times where I've seen him in certain roles, like so. For instance, with uh, Adonis and Creed, I thought he knocked that out of the park. Right? I, th- I think he does a, 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 a fantastic job with that. But then, like you know, and everybody, you know, Killmonger was a very popular character in, uh, in in Black Panther. I'm not sure if he gave the performance of a lifetime in that. At least for me, I don't. I don't know. You know, uh, and I, and I'm not trying to be a I'm not trying to be a hater here. Like I just I, I call it like I you know like I feel it. You know, of like I don't know if I don't know if it hit the spot for me with him and Killmonger. I think the character itself was a decently built character, but I'm not sure if his portrayal of the character was necessarily like what I would have wanted out of it, you know? Um, But um, so, yeah, I'm a little skeptical going into a Scarface movie that he has to also hold, uh, one would think some sort of accent. I, but I guess he would have to have an accent because in, at least in, you know, the iteration of Scarface that we, we all remember he, the actual person is an immigrant from Cuba. Like, it's not as if like the person was born here and then, you know, started, you know, being Tony Montana. No, yeah. He's definitely person, had to hold you know, the accent because yeah. he's a Cuban American immigrant or Cuban immigrant uh, to American. Yeah. I think like in like the eighties. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think, again, I, I think Michael B. Jordan has the acting ability to pull it off uh, with some, like with some, um, you know, speech training. Um, I think he has the skills, right. Um, the second thing that, you know, I had to kind of call bullshit on about this whole thing was um, people saying that like, you know, the movie itself was great. The original Scarface was great, which I completely agree with. So because it's great to leave it alone, to never try and do that great thing again. Um, for some things that might be true, but it's not true for everything. I think like if, if you know, the original Scarface is great and it's been 40 years, um, is, is, is it not like a great test see if like hey can that thing can that thing be duplicated can that thing be made better um and if they do a remake that doesn't mean it undoes the original like if they remake the scarface movie it's not going to delete the original film and you're never going to be able to see the original scarface again it's just going to be a remake maybe it'll be great maybe it won't be great Uh, maybe it'll be good in terms of 
um, you know, like telling different new parts of the story or like expanding on the, the Scarface story, it can still be good and you can still enjoy the original, right? Um, the, the whole like never make remake a classic movie, I don't agree with that. There have been remakes of classic movies that have turned out to be really good. Again, sc- the Scarface with Al Pacino was a remake that turned out to be better than the original. So uh, I hope, you know, this project uh, by Universal Pictures that um, was surprising, it's been in talk since 2011. So nine years later, uh, I hope this rumor becomes a reality. I hope this project gets underway. I hope the end result, if, um, you know, if they ultimately do make this film, uh, is as great as the original or, or better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have any sort of confidence that, that that's going to be the case. But but I'm not one of those people who's saying, like, it shouldn't be made. I, I think people, you know, I, I get tired of just remakes overall. But, you know, whatever. If a company <laughs> decides it owns a property and it wants to continue making money off that property, then fuck it. You know, that's uh, that's capitalism. Um, so if, but, question uh, for you, though. Yeah. If Michael B. Jordan sure. plays uh, Tony Montana, who do you think plays uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character? Uh, what was her name? Elvira? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and weirdly enough, I actually thought her character was actually less relevant to the story than uh, Tony's sister. Now that's that's who I'm curious who who, who would play that. Yeah, uh, her, Tony's uh, sister was probably so the really actress more was Maria Elizabeth Monstrantonio, who played Gina. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or, or even who's gonna play? Uh, Manny. Who's his, uh, what's his best friend's name? Uh, Manny. Is it Manny? Is Manny yep. right? Uh, yep, Manny. Um, who was played by Stephen Bauer? Yeah, uh, that's that's a really interesting. You know, yeah. that, the, the whole the whole cast for this this the, the film is going to uh, that's going to be I think the selling point for the film, right? That if you have if you have some people that's like, okay, this is really interesting, you know, how they're going to make this work, then I think you can spark some interest up in the film. But if it's just like, I don't know, man, if it, if it's, I don't know. I, I, I just, but this is the problem with, you know, these reboots is, is that you're trying to be different, but at the same time, recreate that magic, which is such a hard thing to do. And it helps when the original isn't epic, right? So you talked about the original Scarface that the the remake of it was better than the original, right? 100% right. But, you know, how many people actually watched the original, you know? And I'm not saying that, you know, especially for the time that it was in that, you know, uh, that people didn't watch it. I'm just saying that it was just, it was, it was a lot bigger in the uh in the 80s than it was back in i think one of the 30s or whenever yeah 1932 bigger film more technology was available um right yeah uh and again 2020 let's say this project kicks off 2020 2021 right the scarface film um same thing you know it's been 40 years uh technology has changed it could be a bigger project i think it has the potential to be as good i don't know if it'll ever be greater just because you know that the, the Al Pacino Scarface was great in and of itself, um, but I think it could be as good. Uh, yeah. I'm an optimist. I hope it's as good. Um, and I'd love to see this rumor of Michael B. Jordan uh, become a reality and then start to see them put together the rest of the cast around this project. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump forward here. Uh, so let's talk about, um, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a very, uh, uh, Oh, whoops, I've got the wrong graphic. Let's see if I can fix that real quick. 
No, I cannot. Let's see. I can fix it real quick, though. All right, quick banter, Rain. <laughs> well, I, I can kick off this story while you get the graphic going. So in this article from uh, The Street on street.com, uh, article title of this article is uh, Coming Soon to AMC Theater Near You, Amazon, question mark. So uh, the retail and more recently Hollywood uh uh, content giant Amazon has reportedly held talks to take over AMC Entertainment and its global chain of movie theaters. Uh, to give you a, like a little bit of a, an excerpt here from the article, uh, in a bid to give its growing roster a small screen, uh, growing roster of small screen, uh, small screen content to a big screen outlet retail, and more recently Hollywood content giant Amazon reportedly held uh, the meeting uh, to buy Amazon uh, to buy AMC Entertainment over. Uh, or due to its financial troubles. Very interesting move here. Um, you know the book, The Art of War, right? Lao Tzu's yeah. Art of War. Sun Tzu. So, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu. Yeah, so um, one of the principles in like The Art of War is that like it's, it is better to, um, and I, I'm going to paraphrase here, it is better to like re, to, to, to take over like your, your, enemy's kingdom or right to seize your enemy's kingdom or land um as it is then to destroy it right so instead of like going in and 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 fighting and and destroying everything and winning the war or like seizing your enemy's land that way it is better to like let your enemy fall right let it like destroy itself internally and then to just come over then to just uh, assume control of the land right and i think that's amazon's tactic here there's no need to, 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 you know, and I'm sure they've wanted to do this for a while to consider like opening up their own chain of, of movie theaters, right? There's no need for Amazon to uh, try and buy it when the sale price is high, but let's continue to let them fall, right? And when they're at their very bottom, then we're going to come in and buy. And Amazon is close to the bottom right now. And who has the money to buy Amazon at like pennies on the dollar? And I'm sorry, who has the money to buy AMC at, at pennies on the dollar? Amazon. It's a very smart tactic here. I, I think this is a, a, a wisely strategic move from Amazon. Yeah, I, I don't see it as like a, maybe they were laying in wait the entire time waiting for AMC to, to fall completely apart. I think they just are opportunist, right? They're always looking for ways to take an opportunity uh, of situations. Um, that's what they do, right? Uh, like, you know, uh, look at what they did with Whole Foods, right? That they uh, bought Whole Foods because they wanted to get into that sector of being able to uh, get food to people, um, even given the fact that they, you know, they're already in the delivery business, uh, but now you buy up Whole Foods, now you have like a delivery service with it. Um, it's just like oh, two peas in a pot, like, let's make this work. Um, and I don't know what Whole Foods margins were, so I don't know if Maybe they just you know sucked and uh, and and Amazon just took advantage of that. Um, but uh, you know th this this uh, this is amazing to me, and it's amazing to me for a number of different reasons, right? Didn't we just weren't we just talking just like last week or maybe the week before about AMC just talking all sorts of crazy shit to uh, Universal, right? Because they were like, you know. Universal um, was planning to start releasing its, you know, or had their whispers that Universal was going to release release its films uh, both in theaters as well as on demand. Uh, and and AMC was like, oh, we know likey, you know, we don't we don't like that shit. Um, 
And they gave him a very stern talking to about, you know, doing anything of the sort that they just won't carry any of Universal's films. You know, life comes at you fast because (laughs) a week later, (laughs) suddenly, you know, we're, we're seeing that. Well, turns out one of the streamers, you know, being uh, Amazon in this case, uh, you know, Amazon Prime um, video uh, now are looking into perhaps purchasing AMC, in which case I couldn't fathom a world where uh, Amazon would still have that rule in place of, oh, yeah, we're not going to show streaming beauty, uh, uh, movies on our screens. Fuck everything about that. That's the first rule out of the door. <laughs> as soon as uh, this deal takes place, you know, if it were to take place, it's completely, you know, uh, it's just rumored at this point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, life comes at you fucking fast, man. Cause yeah, AMC was talking that slick shit. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh shit, uh, that's going to, now we're go we go from we're against this completely to that might actually be our entire business model. <laughs> and so it's, it's just, it's, it, and this is part of what I was talking about that, that is, is, is part of the reason why AMC talking so reckless against universal was, it wasn't that it was ill-advised, right? Because I think that based on uh, the history of how theaters and and um, studios operated, that it actually made sense that AMC was, you know, came out swinging the way they did. But it showed that AMC they're not they weren't being forward thinking. You know, um, they weren't looking ahead to see, okay, well, how else can we? How else can we? interact with this world how else can we change this model up to work in this current environment we're currently in because what we're doing isn't just working for you know in terms of covid cases uh uh in terms of covid you know being a part of our 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 society right now but it just doesn't work in general right that people more and more people are looking for different ways to take in these films and we're still basically owning a monopoly over the release window that for the first let's say four or five months that a movie comes out um it's strictly going to be housed within theaters or you're just not going to be able to rent it on video on demand uh, until uh you know a month or two after it's like out of theaters you know um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, the, those, again, the, those, those chickens are, are certainly coming home to roost for, for AMC. And, but the thing that I'm curious about, and, and I, and I'm wondering if you're curious about it too, we, we talked, uh, about, uh, um, there being sort of this, this, this sort of, uh, monopoly rule in, uh, in the film industry, uh, placed there by the government, uh, uh, that the studios producing films couldn't also be the owners of theaters. So I'm wondering if that comes into play at all, because clearly Amazon, um, you know, uh, or, or yeah, Amazon's a, a film produ- production studio, um, uh, as well as they're just like a fucking, you know, titan of industry. Um, so I'm very curious to see if if that comes up at all. Like, well, isn't that a conflict of interest if Amazon is owns all the fucking AMC theaters? Because suddenly is it like, yeah, we're not showing any of that shit. Uh, that new film that we got coming out, yeah, fuck all that Avengers shit, uh, <laughs> fuck all that other shit, because, because you know, Disney's gonna still have Disney Plus, right? So Disney's not gonna allow Amazon to show whatever Marvel film or whatever the case is. But you're telling me now we have to still show your movie in theaters, even though you won't let us, you won't let us have access to streaming it. No, fuck that. We're not showing you until you are allowing us to stream that on our platform. Well, we're not going to show your 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 film in theaters. You know, um, I could see a world like that, you know, coming up in, or, or conflicts of interest like that coming up. So it's very curious to see if a deal like that could even get through, you know. 
Yeah, I, I think, so, uh, you know, I think to your point, there's a huge conflict of interest there. Um, if, if, if Amazon is controlling the movie theaters, they're definitely going to want to stream their content or uh, show their content in the movie theaters. And I would imagine content from any other production studio, um, you know, to your point, like a Amazon uh, or a, a Disney would be, you know, priority two, right? Um, I think Amazon is definitely in the money-making industry. You know, that's uh, that's their primary uh, industry, right? That's their primary goal. So I don't think they'd ever block the viewing of a Disney no, film. No, but they would haggle. Exactly. They would jack up the price. They would make it, they would make it more expensive then than it is now for uh, a Disney film to be shown in theaters, right? Um, how, how this exactly happens, I don't know, but I think it's a very interesting play that Amazon is making. Uh, so I, I just started tracking the Amazon stock on my stock app. Amazon stock right now is $2,400 per share. Uh, AMC stock is $4.52 per share. <laughs> I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep an eye on this story, and if if this deal goes through, I'm gonna buy that AMC stock because we're gonna see that stock price well, the, jump. The the smart money would be to buy now, so, uh, <laughs> so you don't want to wait until it's a story before yeah. uh, before well, you, you get in on it. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a little. I'm gonna keep an eye on it, and then if I yeah. see this stock start to jump over the next few days. I'm going to have to buy because, uh, again, I just think this is a really interesting uh, position that Amazon is in. Uh, and again, they've got money yeah. to waste. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let, let's move forward here. We'll, we'll, of course, keep track of that story. Um, but uh, but but let's press forward with uh, with the show nonetheless. Uh, so uh, we just got uh, word this uh, this past week that uh, Netflix lands uh, uh, The Rock and Emily Blunt's uh, new superhero package called Ball and Chains. Um, and so I and, I and again I was telling you this before we started recording. I, I really feel like they missed an opportunity. Could have called it uh, Blunt and Rock. Uh, uh, or they could have mixed it up with some uh, with some with some marketing ploys there, but uh, nonetheless. Uh, so, Ball and Chain uh, has landed on Netflix. Uh, the project is based on the uh, 1990s uh, comic book uh, of the same name, uh, and uh, Johnson and Blunt uh, will play a couple uh, struggling in their marriage uh, and uh, who are. Uh, who are equipped, I guess, as uh, I'm sorry, I'm cutting off my own screen here so I can't see what the fuck I'm reading. Uh, yeah, who are equipped with superpowers. Uh, however, their powers only work when they're together. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah. And all of this, surprisingly, it comes before their film that everybody's sort of saying, oh my God, they have such great chemistry. Before it even fucking comes out, uh, Jungle Cruise, uh, which is supposed to be coming out, uh, I think it is actually supposed to be coming out this year, but of course, because of the virus, it, I think it got pushed. Um, uh, so it's supposed to be coming out July of 2021. Um, so really before mass audiences have even seen that film, they've already greenlit, uh, this other film from, it's all, it's also curious that it's going to Netflix. Uh, but, uh, Netflix is not one to pass up an opportunity, uh, while the iron is hot. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, are, are you, uh, looking forward to this Emily Blunt slash rock saga? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think like The Rock is, he's like the most, you know, well-known actor, most highest paid, highest earning or grossing actor in Hollywood right now, right? Um, he's, you know, owned the big screen for, for uh, quite some time. Um, I, I think he really started to take off when he first appeared in like the Fast and Furious franchise as, uh, as Hobbs. Um, and then since then, he's just been on a rampage. Um, 
literally he even started a movie called rampage <laughs> but, but uh you know yeah so since then he's just been he's he's been killing it right um so it's only natural that he would make the make the jump to partner with one of these major streaming services um and if you're going to partner with any you know the biggest platform is hulu i'm um, sorry not hulu amazon <laughs> not amazon not Freudian <laughs> I have to keep going. So <laughs> the uh, so yeah, I mean Netflix just seems and feels right for this 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 partnership and this project. Um, again, Rock, leading man in Hollywood. I think Emily Blunt, definitely a leading lady in Hollywood. Uh, most of the projects that Emily Blunt does, I love. I mean, um, whether it's what was that movie like Live Free or whatever with uh, with Tom Cruise. Live, die, repeat, or something like that. Yeah, live, die, repeat. We've got um, a quiet place. Quiet place two is all. Did did a quiet place two come out yet? Not yet. No. Um, well, they quiet place right two is on the way. Yeah. Yeah, right before the coronavirus. Uh, so I, I love the work that Emily Blunt has done teaming these two up together. Um, Jungle Cruise that looked like a good movie, um, and here they are with another project. Um, that's I, I think they're they're announcing that it is official or it will start production eventually. Um, and it will be on the yeah. Netflix platform, so uh, it just it just feels right. It makes sense. It's a good. They look yeah. like a good pairing, and and uh, Netflix is the the platform, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all I gotta say is, man, uh, you know, John Krasinski. He, he's got a. He's got a. Get that man know, away from my wife. A, yeah, yeah, he's he's got to make a couple <laughs> visits to the set, you know, just to make sure everything's copacetic, everything's you know going as it should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you know you put the Rock, you know, in two films. I mean, one film, it's like all right, you know, yeah, you're working with the Rock, it's cool. Two films, I don't know. Let's uh, you know, let's see what's going on after hours here. But yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I think it should be noted uh, that Emily uh, uh, Gordon is going to be. Um, I think she's she's the person who's going to be uh, writing the, the 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 film as well, and uh, the, people will remember her from the uh, the Big Sick. Uh, so she she wrote that with uh, Camille uh, Nanjiani, um, and they're also married uh, as well. Uh, so I, I you know I know even just from from that project, uh, she she does really great work. Uh, so uh, so yeah, so I, I think they've got all the elements of a, a, a decent turning here. Um, and uh, and and yeah, I I, I want to see them in Jungle Cruise first, just to make sure I'm you know I'm on board completely. Yeah, um, because I don't know. We'll see. And, and one thing I want to highlight is like uh, so this film uh, is going to be produced by Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Hiram Garcia's production studio, uh, Seven Bucks Productions, um, as well as Kevin Misher. Um, his production studio called Mishra Films. And this will be Emily Blunt's first, uh, she'll be making her producing debut yeah. um, uh, under her production studios. I think it's called Leadberry Productions. Uh, so really interesting mm -hmm. for her. This is a big first for her too. Like, uh, you know, big film featuring on a primarily streaming first platform as well as her, um, you know, her uh, her taking, wearing that producer's hat. So, um, you know, yeah. this this is big for both of them. Yeah. And I, and I think it's amazing how like a lot of the actors are actually taking, you know, these taking these projects into their own hands. Right. So versus just, you know, just remind the clock about 10, 15, 20 years ago when, you know, the norm in Hollywood was basically to uh, to uh, have uh, to, to, you know, there would be a production company that, you know, you'd partner with or you'd work with closely. Um, but now a lot of these actors and actresses are owning their own production companies and are doing these projects essentially themselves, um, which is, uh, which is, uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and it's, it's great, you know, more power to them, you know, because, you know, 
if you don't have a project that's greenlit or, you know, just is getting stalled and you're wondering, hmm, you know, um, how can I, how can I make this project? How can I put more effort into this project? It's take, take ownership of the project. And that happens a lot of time, but shows too, right? So it shows running a few more, you know, a, a few years, um, like the offense, for instance, which is, you know, John Krasinski, who's Emily uh, Blunt's husband, um, uh, uh over the course of time, uh, a lot of those actors and actresses started taking producer roles in the show because they started to play more of a role behind the scenes um, than than they just did in front of it. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, more 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 power to them. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. I actually meant to do that myself. Um, all right, let's uh, let let's speed forward here to our to our final um, topic of the day, which uh, of course. Uh, it's about none other than the cruise himself. Um, we are getting twice the cruise uh, for the price <laughs> of well, twice the cruise. Where we're they're not offering discounts on the tickets. It will cost yeah. exactly the same for both movies. Uh, but we are getting two uh, Mission Impossible films instead of just the the usual one that we're accustomed to. Um, I think they're doing both films back to back. And so let me uh, let me read here the and and the director for the for actually for for the past few. Uh, Mission Impossible films is Christopher uh, McQuarrie, um, and uh, he was talking a little bit about it. And he says uh, the ending of the first movie uh, snapped into place. Uh, we knew what the ending was, and we knew what the beginning was. Uh, and now I had these two sequences, which means I've got forty minutes uh, of Mission Impossible Eight figured out. So what he basically was talking about was like Mission Impossible can be all the movies can be sort of boiled down to like these twenty minute like increments, which is kind of sad that you could just boil the movie down to like just twenty minutes. We only really need twenty minutes of this. Everything else is just <laughs> filler. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but he was saying that all the films can essentially be these twenty minute sequences in order for them to all make sense kind of together and uh, and. So the final, uh, the the last film that he you know came out with, which is uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, um, uh, they they essentially figured that out, uh, but then, uh, but essentially they they were able to condense that that was originally I think supposed to be two different ideas and they kind of condensed it to one. So they have now twenty minutes extra more in his you know theory of of the movie uh, or, or the series. And so then that gives him 40 minutes uh, in his his mind for uh, Mission Impossible 8. Um, and so, so yeah, that's why we're getting twice the cruise uh, for the same price as twice the cruise. Um, and so, uh, and so yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting. Um, weirdly enough, I think this has been one of those franchises that I thought I would definitely get tired of after like, like two Mission Impossibles ago. But I weirdly enough haven't. It's been actually getting better somehow. Which I don't, yeah, I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the last few Mission Impossible films, there was Ghost Protocol, which I thought was really good, um, and then the most recent film, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which uh, we saw Henry Cavill join uh, join the the franchise in this film was phenomenal. I mean, if you haven't seen Mission Impossible Fallout yet, I highly recommend it. A great movie. Um, a lot of the people who are in, you know, the past Mission Impossible films are going to return for this movie. Like Vin, Ving Rhames is returning. Um, I believe the, uh, what's her name? Uh, Haley Atwell is returning to this film as well. Uh, and there's also someone who's uh, another like major Hollywood actor or actress who's been rumored to, to be in conversations to join the film who's yet to be announced. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see who joins the film for maybe um, uh, for the Mission Impossible 7 or 8. Uh, 
but yeah, to your point, like this film, just when I thought it was going to burn out back, you know, back in the day, this film, at least for the last two or three has gotten better and better. Um, so seven and eight, I'm here for it. Unlike the Fast and Furious franchise, I think these movies are, are aging better. Um, whereas the Fast and Furious movies seem to be getting like just more and more unrealistic. Um, and Tom Cruise, definitely an actor that's aged well. Maybe some of Seven and Eight will be filmed in space. We talked about that project with NASA uh, yeah. uh, on our last episode. So, you know, I'm here for it. But yeah. you know, to your point, it is kind of interesting that like 20 minutes of the movie, 20, 40 minutes of the movie might be all that, that you need in order to like keep up, keep track. Um, but yeah. either way, if they're able to do with these next two films, what they've done with the past few, which is continue to push the boundaries, to better storytelling, uh, great acting, uh, great storylines. Uh, I'm here for it. Yeah, 100 um, percent. All right. With, uh, with all that shit being said uh let's uh get the fuck out of here dude um so uh ladies and gentlemen as usual uh if you listen to the podcast and uh you listen to it all the way through we definitely like uh appreciate you and 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 you know we, we definitely love you guys um but go ahead and hit that like button hit that subscribe button hit that share button share this shit with anybody and everybody who you fucking know um uh and uh i believe we will be back uh next week uh to drop some more you know uh uh really watered down content because we just have no content because there's no fucking <laughs> there's no films in theaters that's all we got uh, it's all we got ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's the best advertisement for our podcast i think we've really done that's all we got um so uh so yeah with that with that being said uh we will uh go ahead and hit the usual protocol fade out peace the fuck out ladies and gentlemen Thank <laughs> you.